Amen. Indeed, it was a blessing to be here all that week and uh, for us to focus on not just knowing God, but also making Him known throughout the world. As we uh, come this morning, one of the great things that happened within VBS, and uh, I am amazed each and every year at the generous giving of our students. Indeed, that week we raised $700 uh, for the work of the kingdom uh, through Adamsville Baptist Church to be used for God's good and His glory within this world. As we come this morning, indeed money is for us a dangerous distraction. It is a temptation to hold on to and squeeze it, squeeze it for the most of our pleasure and our gain. Indeed, throughout First Timothy, Paul has been talking to the church and correcting them, commanding the church to set in order, set things in order under the leadership of our sovereign Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has laid out an order and structure for the church to show that our great concern is faithfulness and fidelity in serving the God that has made us, the God that has saved us, the God who is sanctifying and sustaining us day by day. And today, we follow up last week's warning to the elder pastor that would seek to promote their own personal gain from the ministry of godliness with a warning of what is for our culture and our day the most dangerous distraction for those that are disciples of Jesus Christ. As we begin today, it is well that I encourage you at the beginning not just to hear the word of the Lord, but to heed the word of the Lord, to take it deep within your life and let it transform who you are. For indeed, in the midst of our culture that consumes itself with gain in every area but godliness, it is very appropriate for the Christian to step back, take a mirror, look into his soul and test himself and ask the questions, where does my happiness come from? Where does my joy come from? Where do I find true satisfaction in life? Is it the things of this world or is it the God of this world? Is it the stuff or is it God's Savior that satisfies me? That gives me happiness and joy? A part of that question is the very practical question. How do I view and handle money? How do I view and handle money? Now, you'll note immediately that I did not ask you, how do you view and handle my money? I asked you, how do you view and handle money? Is it a means to an end or is it an end to the means? Indeed, we would do well to understand the Bible is full of warnings from against the love of money for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. This does not mean that money is evil and vile in and of itself, for indeed money has no morality. It is how the money is used that decides the morality of the user. Because the, But not only is the Bible full and replete with warnings against the love of money, but it is also full and replete with the right approach that we are to take to money. Indeed, listen to these passages. In Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, the writer warns us, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and flies toward the heavens. Anybody ever had that experience? If I just had a little bit more money, and then when you get a little bit more money, it's all gone too, isn't it? It's amazing how that works. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vapor. This too is fleeting. This is fleeting. It comes and it goes. Easy come and easy go. Luke 16, 13. Jesus warns, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, not only gives us a warning, but gives us also the correct approach to money. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, we can know ourselves and our morality by looking at how we use the money that God has entrusted to us. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. What was that word? Content. Content with what you have. For God Himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul writes to the Philippian church and says, I have learned this, this lesson of contentment, the secret to happiness and joy and, and in the midst of all things. The secret to having a peace that surpasses all understanding is not that you would increase and abound with more and more and more, but rather, he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Where's your contentment found today? Where's your satisfaction? Where's your joy? Where is your happiness and your hope? Is it in yourself and what you can provide, the stuff of this world? Or is it in God's Savior, who He has provided for us? The wealth and the wonders of this world are for us a dangerous distraction as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we need to have a right order and a right view of our God, of His gospel and His provision and protection within our lives. We do not need to be consumed with the consumer culture that is present within our country today. But we need to be content that the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's gracious gift of salvation is more precious than any Anything this world could offer or that death could take away. See, our focus needs to be on keeping up with Jesus and his righteousness, not the Joneses and their bank account. We need to keep up with Jesus, not the Joneses. And so let us turn today to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and let us look at verses 6 through 10 and let us see here a dangerous distraction for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and honor the reading of this God's holy and inerrant word. First Timothy chapter six, verses six through ten. 
It reads as follows, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Father, may we be content today. Father, not content in ourselves and in our stuff, but content in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May we learn to let go and loose ourselves of the things of this world so that our treasure would not be here, but it would be in heaven. Lord, may we seek you and serve you with every ounce of energy and life that you give us. And Father, may we manage your resources well. May we be good stewards of all the gracious gifts you have given to us. Lord, lead us and guide us now as we seek to apply this into our hearts and our lives so that we might go out differently than we came in. Lord, we ask now that you would speak, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that the Christian gains contentment from the gospel and he prizes godliness, not gain, and the eternal, not the earthly. The Christian gains contentment from what? From what he has in his pocket, from what he carries with him, from what he has in his house. No, he gains contentment from the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us sons and daughters of the Most High, not from what we have, not from what we carry with us, not what is present within our household. And we prize godliness not earthly gain. We prize eternal godliness and not earthly gain. As we come today, we need to challenge ourselves. Are we seeking God's true happiness, true joy, and true satisfaction? Or are we seeking ourselves and trying to gain the things of this world? As we come, let us study through this passage, understanding that the true Christian gains contentment, not from the goodies of this world, but from the gospel of God's eternal kingdom. We see verse 6, it says, a means of great gain. There we find a means of great gain. But godliness actually is a means of what? Great gain when accompanied by contentment. Now Paul has just confronted the false teachers who supposed that godliness was actually a means for their personal gain, for their material gain. They wanted to add to their earthly kingdom. And then with a play of words, he turns the saying on its head and he clarifies that godliness is actually not just a means of gain. It is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Godly people have an inner peace of knowing that they are right with God and that they, whether they live or die, they belong to Him because He is truly the Lord of their lives. Indeed, when someone has been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has transformed them from sinners into saints and our eyes are moved from the earthly to eternal. Now we live as though we don't care about the things of this world. Why? Because we understand that we love God and use the things of this world, not use God and love the things of this world. So our approach to life is entirely different from those around us. 
And it shows within our attitudes and with especially within our focus, whether we are focused on godliness and contentment or whether we are focused on gain and consumption. Paul is simply presenting here the choice of two masters that Jesus gave. You can either serve God or money, but you cannot serve God and money at the same time. Verse 9 contrasts this with verse 11. In verse 9, there is a great desire for the riches of this world. In verse 11, it says that the man of God flees those desires. He leaves them behind. See, fleeing and pursuing, fleeing and desiring are opposites, and they are mutually exclusive. You can take your pick. You can either choose to pursue godliness for God's kingdom or you can pursue material gain for your own kingdom but you can't pursue them both at the same time and if you ever try to walk that fence I assure you you will fall off see we need to understand it's one or the other Paul is saying that the gift of salvation from God through the gospel of Jesus Christ is the true source of salvation and the true source of satisfaction and gain for God's creatures who were created in his image. He is making sure that Timothy, the Ephesian church, and the Christians throughout church history understand the precious gift of God has been given in salvation. He wants us to understand our priorities are not to be here upon this earth, but they are to be upon God's eternal kingdom. And in Ephesians chapter four, chapter 3, in verses 14 through 21, we find Paul praying that the church would not be blessed simply with earthly gain, but with eternal godliness. And it says this in Ephesians three fourteen: For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, what? Power and wealth and prosperity and popularity. Is that what he's praying that these these people within God's church would be granted? No, he says, I am praying for what? That God would grant you, according to his riches of glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Notice this is spiritual, internal and not external. He says not only to be strengthened with the spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power uh, power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen Paul's prayer in this passage doesn't center on their center on the church's external circumstances. It centers on the internal spiritual contentment. Paul's prayer carries the same point of concern for the souls and spiritual well-being of this church, uh, of those within the church, not just their material possessions. Indeed, we would do well to learn to place our priority in this same place in our day as well. Parents, what is your greatest desire for your child? What is your prayer? Do you simply pray for their popularity, their power, and their prestige? 
Do you point them to the directions of the, to the direction of the things that are passing away within this world? Or do you point them to the person who is the point of existence in this world? Indeed, we tend to point them to great gain and earthly stuff instead of pointing them to great godliness and eternal salvation. Which is it, parent, that you are most concerned about? Your child's possession of earthly things or an eternal savior? Well, you need to get this. You need to go there. You need to get to this point in life. You need to go to this college. You need to get into this crowd. What does it profit a man if he gains the entire world and yet loses his soul? I'm concerned with my child's success. I'm concerned with my child's spiritual life. Heaven or hell. And that causes me much more trepidation and fear than whether they have the stuff of this world. Whether they live in the right neighborhood and go to the right schools and get into the right country clubs. That's no concern of the Christian. No, we are to tell our kids not just to go and get in with the right crowd, but to go to Calvary and see God's Savior and surrender themselves fully to Him. For then and only then, children, can you know true satisfaction. Oh, I plead with you young men and young women. Don't buy the consumerism of our day. Don't trust in the wealth of this world. You trust in the one who has made this world and given his only begotten son on your behalf. Parents, teach your children spiritual things, not material things. Godliness indeed is gain. It is even great gain. Providing you mean spiritual gain and not financial and providing that you add contentment to it. See, Paul is echoing his earlier statement that godliness has value for all things, bringing blessing both for this life and the life which is yet to come. Indeed, it's sort of it's exactly contrary to what Reverend Ike said last week in his materialism and his greed that consumes much of the Christian church today. For his creed was, I don't want my pie in the sky, heaven when I die, I want cash in the stack here and now and the sad thing is most of our church lives by that creed and by that motto see our focus should not be on the consumerism of our culture but our conformity to the life of jesus christ our risen lord for if we reject that then we reject god's salvation and listen not only will we leave our stuff behind when we die but we will lose our souls to eternal hell. Accompanying our godliness, the Christians should show contentment in whatever situation they find themselves. This word contentment is something the world cannot give, nor can the world take it away. It is something that cannot be purchased by anyone for any price. Indeed, there are some who say, I will give so that I can have eternal life. I will give so that I can get back. But that is not what is what is being talked about here. For indeed, that's when we are using God and loving the world instead of loving God and using the world. For the Greek word here literally means satisfaction with what one has. Satisfaction with what one has. In other words, the content of Christian contentment is to be the satisfaction of our redemption and salvation that God has graciously given to us. Not the contents of our checkbooks, the weightiness of our wallets, or the future 
future comfort that our 401ks provide. Where is your hope today? See, contentment, true Christian contentment, the content of Christian contentment is just this, that we are satisfied with the redemption and salvation that God has graciously given us through His Son. Not the things of this world. Godly contentment lifts our eyes from the realm of here to the realm of heaven, from the realm of the physical to the realm of the spiritual, and from the realm of the financial to the realm of the final day when Jesus Christ returns from his, for His church. And we look, and though the storms rise, though there's hard times right before us, we don't look at those. We look to the future, and we have a sure and certain hope that because God has made a down payment in giving His Son Jesus, Jesus Christ in our place and saving us by his grace and for his glory, he will come again to receive us unto himself. See, when we turn our turn our eyes to our luxuries. And we start to turn our luxuries into necessities, we begin to jeopardize our ability to live in contentedness. For indeed, contentment is an approach to life and an attitude of mind independent of externals and dependent only on God and Him alone. Contentment is an approach to life and attitude of mind that is not varied based on the external circumstances you and I face, but is based only upon God and Him alone. We must be consumed with Christ and dependent on God, not consumed with things and dependent on gain. For the gospel is God's means of great gain, and godliness and contentment is the right response of the Christian to the gospel that paid our penalty for sin and broke the power of sin within our lives. We must understand the gospel is a means of great gain. And that is the message that is to consume us. But secondly, that we are to have a spiritual approach to life. Verses 7 and 8, we see the spiritual approach that we are to have to life. He says, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. See, these are two practical illustrations of the excellence of contentment, of what it looks like to be a Christian within the context of this consumeristic world. First of all, naked we came and naked we go. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. You know, since I've been the pastor at Adamsville Baptist Church, it is an absolutely amazing thing. No baby that has been born at Adamsville Baptist Church has come out with a bag of toys in tow. Not one of them had a baby's R.S. bag as they came out. Said, you know what will make me happy and content in this world? The toys in the bag. No. Not a single one of them. For they arrived and they were happy and they were content as long as they ate, slept, and were fed promptly. Paul says the same way you came into this world, the same way you entered this world is the same way you're going to exit. For you emerge from the womb with nothing and ultimately you will take nothing with you to the tomb. Well, pastor, I'm going to build a bonsolium to myself. Fill it with all my stuff. How foolish is that? It's going to rust and decay. You're not going to use it. You don't need it. You're not even going to know it's there. You're going to be gone. funeral of a rich man, uh, as only can happen in Georgia, one of the mourners 
considering the vast estate of the man, leaned over to a fellow mourner and said, you know, I wonder how much of his real estate and his possessions and his rich, rich fortune did he leave behind? Mourner looked over at him. He said, how much did he leave behind? He left everything. Everything. He didn't take a dime with him. And neither will you. You came in naked, you'll go out naked. Indeed, we must understand that Jesus is exactly on point when He says in Luke twelve fifteen, a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things he possesses. He begins to unfurl a story and tell of a rich man that had great plans to build bigger and better barns and throw bigger and better banquets. And he tells of how this man went about planning for all these things. And yet, later that night, God spoke and said, you this very night your soul is required of you and now who will own what you have prepared so it is the so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God see the man started with things and that's all he ended up with Jesus says listen it's not going to get you anywhere It's not going to see you through. In fact, he goes on in verses 29 through 34 of Luke chapter 12 and says, And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. Everybody in the world is looking for these things. And so the health and wealth gospel is just following the desires of the world, not the desires of the spiritual men and women within the Bible, of the words of God in in the text of the Bible. But listen, your father, knows what you that you need these things but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you do not be afraid little flock for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom sell your possessions and give to charity make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moths destroy for where your treasure is there your heart will be also See, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it, but we can send it on ahead. We can send it on ahead. We can invest and divest in the ministries that God has throughout this world, furthering His gospel. If we want treasures in heaven, we should invest our monies in God's kingdom first, first and foremost, because we are stewards of His gracious gifts and not owners of our stuff. Indeed, you might say, well, pastor, you just come look and see at my house what I've worked for and how hard I've worked and all the energy and expense I've gone to build my glorious house. Well, listen, I can come, but I'm going to ask you one question. Who gave you the life that you have lived? Who gave you the energy? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the mind to accomplish what you have done in this world? It is none other than the God who has created you in His image and for His glory. If you don't recognize it, you're going to recognize a hard lesson that is recorded for us in that great old hymn of the faith. Oh, I'm sorry. Ballad of John Lennon. The Ballad of John and Yoka. Sitting and talking to my wife last night and she said, Oh boy, when you are dead, you take nothing with you but your soul. You can't take your stuff, guys. You came in naked, you're going to go out naked. As you come, you ought to consider 
earthly or eternal. Secondly, in verse 8, Paul shows us the right approach that we are to have in living for God when he says that we are to be content with God's provision and protection. If you have food and clothing, that is enough. That word for clothing actually can extend not only to clothing, but also uh, to, uh, to shelter. So if you have food and clothing, if you're provided for and protected, then indeed you have everything you need, the necessities of life. He says that we are to be content with God's provision and protection. If God has provided food, shelter, and clothing, then we are to be thankful and rejoice in these things. These are the necessities of life, not the luxuries of life. And you say, is this all? Well, probably not. For what Paul is defining is not the maximum that is permitted to the believer, but it is the minimum that is compatible with our contentment. This is clear because he has already portrayed God is the good creator whose gifts are to be received with thanksgiving and joy and be and he will soon add that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment in verse 17 of chapter 6 and so we ought to not make having money or wealth or riches into sin and wrong that's not what's being said we need to understand it's not the, the sin is not money having monies and wealth The sin is in loving it more than we love God. So Paul is not advocating asceticism where we cut off ourselves from money, but rather contentment in in place of our materialism and covetousness. Some of you are sitting out there today going, well, Pastor, is that all that you have to offer? Is that at all you're prepared to offer? I mean, really, you want me to come to Jesus Christ, surrender my life, and give up everything that I have for Him, and just understand that He's going to protect and provide for me in the basic necessities? Is this all you have to offer for me to give up my talents, my time, my treasure, my conveniences, and my comforts within daily life? No, let me tell you, you come to Jesus not so that He can just provide for your basic necessities that you have already got within your life. You come to Jesus because you have a problem in your soul. You can never fix in and of yourself. It is the problem of sin that each and every one of us are sinners by nature and by choice. Each and every one of us have rejected and reviled the commands of God and yet He lovingly, graciously gave Jesus Christ as a Savior for your sin and for my sin on the cross of Calvary and He raised Him from the dead in glorious power And he's calling for you to come and to lay down your life as a sinner so that he might take it up and make you a saint. That's your need. Not stuff, a savior. And Jesus said, for those who follow me, they should not worry about the things of provision. The basic stuff, the basic necessities of this world, because he has promised that our heavenly father would provide for our needs, not our want. Psalm 34 verses 8 through 10, we see this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. They that seek the Lord will not be in want of any good thing. See, in the economic and energy crisis that we are facing today within our world, 
we would do well to study hard these verses and to remind ourselves what are the basic necessities of life. Food and clothing and shelter. And God says, I will provide for you and I will protect you. You seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And everything that you need will be added unto you. Too many of us know the price of everything in our culture and yet we know the value of nothing. We know the price of everything on the shelves at Walmart or Lowe's, don't we? But we know the value of nothing because we think that that's going to satisfy our souls. That that's going to make us happy. We are so glutted with luxuries that we have forgotten how to enjoy the necessities. Indeed, this passage is Jungle Book Theology 101. Bare necessities. Just the bare necessities. Through the gospel, God, our Savior, is our protector. He is our provider. He is our sustainer. And we should live with a spiritual approach that we are sojourners in this world. We are simply travelers. We are simply passing through. For we are here but for a moment and then we are gone. And our concern is not to store up for ourselves stuff here and now, but to store up for ourselves things that are treasures in the kingdom of heaven. We own nothing here in this world, but we are stewards of everything that God has given to us because He so graciously gave His only begotten Son for us. Handle the things of this world lightly. Be willing to let them go. For indeed, you are not the maker of yourself, nor are you the owner of your stuff. You are simply a steward who God has entrusted with its care for here and now. Verses 9 and 10 close with a devastating Uh, devastating approach to life. This indeed is a devastating temptation that comes to all of us within our culture. See, Paul closes this section by warning us against the love of money and the debilitating effects that it can have on our souls and on our lives. He is showing the other side of contentment, which is really covetousness. Those described here in this passage are those that desire money, thinking that when they get it, they will be fully and finally satisfied. The desire for this money leads them into many foolish and harmful paths and that destroy not just their lives and their bodies but also their souls as well it was absolutely amazing working for a large bank and, and seeing on a regular basis one of the executives and you could just about mark it on your calendars every three months she would go into the hospital having heart problems. She was always shocked and wondered how the young seminary student making $9 an hour down in the lobby was happy and satisfied in a way that she could never find. Sad thing was she worked herself nearly to death and like I said, almost every three months had to go in for a heart procedure because she was so consumed with all the stuff. And it was sad because she had everything and yet she had nothing. And I had absolutely nothing. And yet I had everything she wanted. She would have given the car and the house to you. She would have given you all the nice stuff, all the extravagancies that everybody has to have but nobody likes. You know what those are, right? 
little trinkets that show who you are and where you're from. See, the cause of the evils is not the riches. It's not the riches. It's the desire for the riches. The desire for the eager gaining of these riches. That's what the problem is. That's where the sin is. Paul shows not only what, happen, what generally happens, but what happens every man that a man, every time that a man has resolved in his heart to become rich in this world instead of becoming righteous before his living God. He gives himself up as a captive to the devil because his focus is on his earthly kingdom and not God's eternal kingdom. And verse 10 clarifies with the clarion call for us that we are to be focused on God's kingdom and not on our kingdom. He says the love of money. What? The money? No, not the money. It is the love of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. Indeed, anytime we set our eyes on the world rather than the creator of all the things in the world, we endanger our souls. This truth is universal and we see it each and every day as people try to satiate themselves and their desires with the stuff in this world. If I just build a bigger house, I'll be happy. If I just get a better job, then indeed I will be satisfied. If I just have a second house, a vacation house that I can go to and relax and get away from all the stress and pressure, then I'll be fine and I'll I'll have joy. If I just get a better, get a higher paying job, then I'll be okay. If I just drove a different car or if I got a better husband or wife, then I would be happy. Really? You'll never be content because you have never understood God has made you for himself and not for the stuff of this world. Indeed, we need to understand many a man and woman has sold his, his or her soul to gain happiness and satisfaction, but only for a momentary minute. They thought more stuff could make them happy, but what they found out is they filled themselves up with the stuff and they found out that they were the same miserable wreck of a person that they were before. Now they just have more stuff to worry about. Bumper sticker says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Poor theology. Because the real bumper sticker said, He who dies with the most toys still dies. We're going to the same place. Tolstoy's uh, story How much land is enough for a man? Ends with a man who has journeyed all day and night, uh, all day. Uh, gaining all types of land, acquiring all the land that he saw. And he makes it back just in time to cross the finish line before sunset. And when he does, he falls down dead across the finish line. How much land was enough for that man? Six feet by three feet. Six feet down. We're all going to the same place. How much is enough money for you, Mr. Rockefeller? Just a little more than I have. He also said, I have made millions, but they have, brought, have not brought me happiness. For the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. Multimillionaire John Jacob Astor said, described himself as the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford said, I was happier doing mechanic work. Love of money and contentment are mutually ex exclusive, guys. You can't love money and love God at the same time. 
You'll love one and, and reject the other, or you'll serve one and deny the other. But you can't love God and money at the same time. The proper approach to life is just this, that you would love God and use money. For indeed, the Roman proverb is accurate. Money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money or abundance. For both are temporary and both are fleeting. See, it's devastating temptation in our lives to love the things of the world more than we love the God who created this world. You want to see where your, where your love lies today? I want to challenge you to do something. I, I'm serious. You go home this afternoon and you open up your checkbook and you look at your checkbook and let me tell you this, the scriptures are true. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And let me tell you, if you're withholding from God, keeping it back from God, God sees it and He knows your heart. And it's it's telling you right now, it's telling you, you love money more than you love God. What do we love? Adamsville Baptist Church. Is there any help or hope for us today? Yes, the help that we need most is the one who loved us so much he gave himself fully for us so that he might take upon himself the penalty of sin that you and I deserve so that he might sacrifice himself in our place and be the savior for our souls. He is the help you need. He's the help I need. When I become distracted and deterred by the things of this world, I need God's savior to set me back on course. And the hope for my life is the hope that sustains us that indeed I don't live for this world, but I live for the world that is yet to come. For indeed, within this world, I serve the living God, not the stuff of this world. Submit yourself to God. Surrender your stuff and yourself to Him and seek His kingdom and His glory through all the things that He has entrusted. And then, and then you will know true satisfaction, true happiness, true joy, and true peace. Because you won't be holding ownership of things in this world. You'll be under the ownership of the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Won't you give yourself today to His hand? Won't you pray that He would take you and transform you from a sinner into a saint? From one who focuses on the world to one who is wealthy beyond measure in the kingdom that is yet to come. Father, as we close today, may you lead us and guide us into this time of decision. Father, may we be willing to lay down our trinkets and our treasures, our talents and our time. May we be willing to hold nothing back from you. But Father, may we lay down everything so that you might pick up our lives and make us into the image of of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may you indeed be glorified by everything that is said and sung now. And Father, if there is anyone this morning who does not have help and does not have hope, Father, may they not wait a moment more, but this morning may they step out and come forward and cry out to you that indeed today I need salvation. I need to be set free from the stuff of this world so that I can serve the Savior that God has given. Lord, lead us and guide us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand now as we sing together. Take my life.